Hello and thanks for streaming this episode from ACF Church. Our hope is that this word would encourage you to walk closer with God and with your local church. We hope you consider partnering in the work God's doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you'd like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so safely on our website at acfak.org or by texting the amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. Well, he is risen. Uh, you weren't ready for it at all, were you? Um, hey, if you're new to ACF, we're just glad that you're with us this morning. My name is Brian, and I'm one of the pastors here, and he is still risen. Praise God, right? And so we celebrate this every single week, and honestly, it's, it's how we live, is that Jesus is alive, we're alive, and, uh, and this is why we're excited about life. And so uh, if you're new, we just hope that you uh, find a home here. And uh, also, I want to just encourage you guys, 9 a.m., uh, Wednesday night, we actually have a service. If you didn't know, uh, every single week we do the same thing on Wednesday nights. And so if you're already like me and you're planning out your summer and you already know, like, okay, on this date I'm going camping, on this date I'm going fishing, like I got my whole summer planned out um, already. Uh, if you're going to be gone on the weekends, it's a great way to stay plugged into community here. Um, once again, it's, a, it's the same service. Everything's exactly the same. It's actually the first of our week. And so uh, what we teach on Sunday morning, I've already taught on Wednesday. And so they get the raw and uncut, unedited version of, uh, of what we do. Uh, and it's just great. I love that. And I, I just always think church is better in the evening anyway. So that's just me. Uh, more awake, more ready to go. So would love it if you would migrate uh, to Wednesday. And it also helps us to make space on Sunday morning uh, for newcomers who are coming and joining us as well. And so um, once again, we are starting a brand new series today called God problems. And uh, it's going to be really, really challenging, really good uh, to have these conversations. We really believe that Christianity should result in a lifestyle of radical honesty. That honestly, Christians should be the most honest people in the world uh, because we recognize our need for a Savior, our brokenness, and how much Jesus loves us right where we are. And so because of that, we just want to talk about issues. And, um, and so we set out after Easter for the next four weeks to just kind of talk about these topics that are going on in our minds, these issues that we have um, with God. And, and that's, that's the whole idea. I think all of us can relate to that, that at some point or another, um, we have shaken our fists at God. At some point or another, we have had issues with the church or with Christianity or with the Bible. We've read something that we're like, wait, 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 what? 
what does that mean? Who, who, what kind of God is that? Or, or what does that mean about the church? And, and so there's all of these, these wrestlings and struggles. And I, I, I struggle with the fact that this happens, this conversations happen between, behind closed doors for the most part. We don't actually talk about it uh, in public. And so that, this is just a chance to bring these things out in the open. And so about a month ago, we asked you to start texting in questions that you have so that we could talk about the things that are going on uh, in your minds. And I just got to tell you, uh, I shared those with our staff this week, and we've just been thinking through and praying about those things. Um, I'm just reading these questions, like tearing up in my office, thinking about what God's doing in all of uh, your hearts and minds, and there are just, there are deep questions, like serious deep questions that we have um, with God, and I'm, as I'm reading these questions, I'm wondering, have these people even talked about this to anyone? I mean, these are anonymous text questions. I mean, have, have these people even processed the, these questions that are valid questions about God and about their faith with, with anyone? And, and if you haven't, I hope you have, or I hope you would. And, and I just want you to know throughout this series, we're going to jump around a lot. We're going to do our best to give you a bit of a structure to process these kinds of questions. Um, but we're just going to be on the tip of the iceberg. I, I'm just telling you right now. Um, today, as we get into the topic, I feel like I, this is content overload for me. Um, I had a, a message started, and then you sent me all these amazing questions, and then I got all kinds of other content. And so I've got like seven sermons to preach to you right now, so I should probably get to it. Um, but I'm not even going to get to everything I want to say today. But what we want to do in this series is we're going to start off each week talking about a few of the questions specifically that you wrote in, and then we're going to process those really quick and then get into the content for, uh, for the morning. And so uh, thank you for being part of this conversation and, and giving us some direction in this. So hopefully we can kind of get a little bit of traction and, and then help you as you get into your uh, life groups this week that you can continue to process these really great questions about God and following Him and understanding who He is. And so I want to start off with a question about marriage that came in uh, this week. This is a great question. If God so believed in love, <clears throat> why would he allow so much heartbreak in divorce? I thought marriage was supposed to be a glimpse of heaven. Any married people think that too? When you got married, you're like, yeah, yeah, this isn't what I expected at all. So uh, whoever you are, I, I totally get you. I understand that feeling. I think the scripture that this person is referring to is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31. I'm going to read this. It's kind of a wedding passage. It says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. And so if you're, if you're not a Christian, you might not know this, but as Christians, we see marriage as being this, this like divine, sacred thing. Like more than just something between us and the state of Alaska, like we're officially married, we get the tax right off. We actually see this as, as, a, as an ordained by God thing that he gave us as a gift. And, and the vision for marriage in the scriptures is that it is a, it's a picture of Christ's love for the church. Because oftentimes the church is called the bride, the bride of Christ. And so as Jesus returns, it's like a groom returning for the bride. And that's the kind of love that God has for us, is this perfect, selfless, unconditional love for his people. Which is, which is really good news. And then we get married, right? So here's what I want you to know first. Uh, as we look at marriage, um, I think as we look at life in general, there are, there are copies and there are originals, Right? There's copies in their originals. If you ever run a bunch of things through a Xerox machine, you know the copies never look quite as good as the original, right? Here's what I want you to know is that marriage is a copy of Christ's love for the church. It's not the original, okay? 
Does that make sense? So, so as, as you see marriage and you're like, this is kind of messed up and it's broken and it's, you know, there's divorce and I'm struggling with my marriage, understand this. The, the vision for your marriage is for it to look like Christ's love for the church, and yet we understand as people that are broken, we kind of do a terrible job of that sometimes, right? But that is the vision. That's what we're shooting for is that there is a greater purpose for our marriages, that people see this unconditional love within a marriage. Now, the other thing that comes to mind is we think that our marriages look like Christ in the church when they're perfect, right? When everything's great and we're happy, we're going out to dinner every night, you know, we're never arguing. But when you think about it, your marriage doesn't look so much like Christ's love for the church when you're doing well as it does when somebody is dying, right? Because think about it, last week we talked about the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus had to die to be resurrected. He gave his life for the church. And so in any argument, in any setting, with any marriage, you actually look like Christ in the church when you're the one that just says, time out, let's just fix this. Time out, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually give of myself in this moment. I'm going to give up my pride and uh, my agenda, my arrogance. I, I'm just going to make this right. So when you are dying, you look like Christ in the church. So yay marriage. Um, but it's a different vision than maybe what you may have seen before, but I just want you to know that it can be a beautiful picture of Christ's love for the church as two people come together selflessly, giving of themselves, serving one another unconditionally. It's a beautiful imagery for the world. So that's your vision for marriage. It's great. Um, let's go to the next question. Why doesn't God protect the innocent? For example, children dying, tsunamis, etc. Um, really good question, right? And you're like, is he going to tackle that? I am. Next week. So <laughs> that's my challenge to you. You've got to come back next week because we're not going to talk about this. I need, I need probably six weeks, but I'm going to do it in one week, uh, talking about evil and pain and struggle in the world. Why does this exist? Honestly, um, half or more of the questions that came in um, have, a, have sort of a theme of this general question is why is evil in the world? Why do bad things happen to good people? That kind of question. Valid um, question to ask. So come back. Um, and then the last question is kind of for our content today. A lot of the questions centered also around this theme. How do we know when God is speaking to us? Do we get a gut feeling? Do we actually hear something? I've thought in the past that I've gotten clear feeling of peace, but it turned out terribly wrong. Who's been there, right? How do we learn to listen? Uh, somebody else wrote in, I can't hear God. Struggling to hear God. Um, so I want to spend some time here today because we've got so many questions about trying to follow God in this life and struggling with the will of God, if you've ever uh, used that term before, and wondering, like, what does God want out of my life? And so this is, a, this is a, a, a question I think a lot of us are struggling with and asking, and so I want us to, to wrestle with this today. So can I pray for us, and we'll get into this, this text today. Jesus, thank you uh, for what we have here. Thank you for this safe place to, to gather and ask questions and to wrestle with our doubts. Thank you, Father, that you meet us in our doubts, that you don't ask us to have everything figured out or for everything to make sense to us. We recognize that we are finite and you are infinite. And so, God, at the same time, we are asking for answers and clarity. And, Father, that we could understand who you are at a core level and that we could love you better with our lives. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. So really good question about the will of God. And, and, and once again, I want, I'm going to jump around to a lot of different scriptures today. If this is something that's in your wheelhouse, maybe you sent in that question and you're wondering f- uh, about some more resources, I want to encourage you. Uh, there's a book called Decision Making in the Will of God uh, by Gary Friesen. I read it years ago. Really gave me some great context for understanding how to follow God um, in my life. And so go pick that book up if you are a reader. If you're not a reader, you should start reading because it's helpful to learn when you're reading. And so um, also, once again, I feel like I'm just going to touch the surface. We'll give some structure for following uh, God in this. But if you're wondering, like, why is this the question? Why are we talking about this today? Um, There's a few things that came to mind as as I thought about this um, and as I was praying for you. The first is that there's so much confusion um, on this issue, so much confusion about the will of God. How many of you have ever heard this said to you, hey, God has a plan for your life? Have you heard that before? God has a plan for your life. He's got something in store for you. And you thought to yourself, it's a terrible plan, right? Have you seen what's gone on in my life? And if he's got a plan, man, God needs to work on his plans because uh, it's just been a mess. And you've thought, well, okay, so, so he has some kind of plan. Well, where is it? Like, is it written somewhere? Can I, can I go look it up at the library? Can I Google the plan? Like, what is God's plan for my life specifically? And, and you start to get into a lot of confusion about yourself and about who God is. And then you start to wonder, like, who is this God that keeps this plan a secret from me? It sort of dangles it out there as this beautiful, wonderful thing that if I find it, life will be great. If I don't find it, it'll be terrible. Like, it starts to mess with our view of God. So lots of confusion, um, lots of fear, Right? Have you ever worried that you were going to miss the will of God? Or maybe you've done something and you thought, no, I just missed God's will. And then you feel like, well, now what? I mean, I've just, my whole life is messed up now because I've missed the will of God. Now I have to kind of find it or God's going to punish me until I find it. So lots of fear uh, in the will of God. Uh, lots of shame in this topic. Uh, you know, I, I really struggle with this personally when I was younger that this idea that like everybody else seems to hear God and I don't you ever felt felt that like there's there's always that friend who's like yeah I woke up this morning and then God like spoke to me and then I prayed about what cereal I would eat and he told me like it was fruity pebbles and I ate some fruity pebbles and God spoke to me about you know the lady at the checkout counter at Walmart and I prayed for her and she like got on her knees and got saved at Walmart today and you're just like I am a heathen compared to this like what's up with my faith? Why doesn't God just speak to me this way? And, and I want to follow him, but I just keep asking and I can't hear him. I also feel like there's a lot of abuse um, with this idea of the will of God. Um, it, it, it is the official trump card, right? Uh, if, if you just want to do what you want to do, you just say, well, God told me, right? Well, God told me. I, I prayed about it. I just have such a peace about divorcing my wife, right? I just have such a peace about, you know, giving up on this, this dream of, you know, of my life. I just have such a peace in quitting this job and getting, you know, and, and maybe, maybe it is, maybe it's supposed to be what you're doing, but it's also a great way of pulling God onto your side and saying that, you know, I, I'm, I've got God in my back pocket. He's going with me, and uh, that's not always the case. And so what I want to do is give us some, some definitions for the will of God and some, like I said, some structure to understand it because we throw this, this idea of will of God out there and it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And so I want to talk about the different kinds of the will of God uh, today. And so the first one I want to talk about is God's sovereign will. You can write that down, God's sovereign will. Um, you've maybe heard that statement before, God is sovereign, right? Normally when things are terrible, 
Um, God is sovereign. Now, here's what I want you to know. As, as the church, as a Christian, we take a great deal of peace and hope in knowing that God is sovereign. And so as you open the scriptures, and you can go do a Google search tonight of, you know, sovereignty of God Bible verses, look them up. You will get an endless supply of scriptures that relate to God's sovereign hand and his work in the world around us. So you just can't argue, at least biblically, that God is not sovereign. And so when we say sovereign, what we specifically mean is that God, simply this, what God says will happen, will happen. That's what we believe. That what God says will happen, ultimately will happen. That nothing you can do um, can stop it. No government can stop it. No uh, natural disaster can stop it. You know, no bad decision can stop it. Isn't there a lot of peace in that? Isn't it great that you're not big enough to stop God's sovereign will? So good, right? Because you're like, oh man, I've messed up a lot. You have not, you have not messed up God's sovereign plan for your life or for the world. And I, and I honestly believe that in your life specifically, there are sovereign moments and sovereign things that, that will happen in your life. There are things that God knows and has planned that are going to happen and you cannot stop them. And they're just going to happen. So there's a, there's a little bit of fear, right? If you're, if you're like, well, well, this looks like I'm in the hands, I'm at the mercy of this God. Yep, you are. You are. So what that brings you to do is to try to understand who he is, right? If we're at the mercy of this God, I sure hope he's good. I sure hope he's loving. I, I sure hope he's got a good plan for, for my life and for the world and to make things better, not to make things worse. And so we understand this. God has a sovereign plan all the way down to what we talked about last week, which is the resurrection, right? It was, it was planned from before the foundations of the world. Revelations 13, 8 talks about that, that this idea of God was planning for Jesus to come and to die for the world and to be resurrected. And so we believed this, and there was no stopping it. There was no stopping what was coming. Jesus was going to die. He was going to be resurrected for the sins of the world. The next kind of will I would call God's moral will. God's moral will. This um, gets a little more specific, and this could be described as God's prescribed behavior given to man as to bring about the greatest love for God, love for others, and human flourishing. Not to be confused with God's moral will is just, just be a good person um, because I want you to, because I want to hold you under my thumb, because I want to prove myself. God has nothing to prove to us. He doesn't need to prove his authority. He has all authority. And so God's moral will is just what is prescribed to us, what we need to do to live the best possible lives where we are. And, and I will tell you this, like, no matter what you think about the scriptures, when people follow God's, God's moral will, when people live as, as God calls them to live, societies flourish. Communities flourish. Relationships flourish. And so understand that, that God gives us this, this overarching way of living life, not to hurt us, but to actually help us. And, and it's, it's laid out before us. How do we know God's moral will? Read your Bible, right? It's laid out in the scriptures of how to, how to live with God, how to, how to live this life, uh, how to live with each other, how to do relationships, how to be a church and a community together. It's all laid out there. Now, I want to step on your toes for a second, if I can. Um, I just want to tell you, you really, don't have, you, you really don't have any reason to be seeking God's specific will for your life if you're not already listening to what he's already told you to do. 
Like if you're just ignoring the fact that there are, there are ways that God has said to live. There are things that I know I'm not doing that are clearly God's like, this is the way to human flourishing. This is the way to living as a couple. This is the way to living a, a giving, sacrificial life. This is the way to be forgiving in the world and not to hold grudges. If you're already ignoring that, but you're like, well, God, what college do I go to? Back the truck up, right? Go back to the scriptures and just read what he said to do. Just start with that, but I think that we tend to go right to the details and be worried about what he specifically has us to do. So I'll tell you this. Um, I'm married to my wife, Amanda, and is Amanda in the room? I don't know if she's around. I was going to embarrass her. Anyway, she's serving today. Um, so anyway, I- I'm married to Amanda, and when I got ready to, to marry Amanda, I prayed a lot about it. Did you do this? If you're a Christian, you probably, you probably prayed a lot because you're like, this can be a total train wreck or it could be the best thing in my life. So I want to marry the right person. Did you pray about that? And so there's a lot of people out there who have this belief that there is one person uh, in the world that you're to marry. And if you, if you marry that person, it's going to be, you know, you, you're going to love it. Life's going to be great. Everything's going to be happy. But if you marry the wrong person, it's, it's going to be a total mess, right? And so there's a lot of people that believe that, which, if you think about it for a second, doesn't make any sense. Because let's say that I married the wrong person. Well, that was somebody else's right person. So I already took them away, so their whole life is screwed up. And they're going to go marry the wrong person that was somebody else's right person. And their whole life is screwed up. So in about five minutes, the whole world collapses, right? And nobody's married to the right person at all. So none of this makes sense. Um, And so for, for, for me and Amanda, I prayed a lot about it. And here's what I knew in my heart. I knew that God says marriage is a good thing. As I read the scriptures, as I go to, okay, what's his moral will for marriage? He says marriage is a gift. It's a, it's a beautiful, good thing. We just talked about that. That's a picture of Christ's love for the church. You get to be a part of casting that vision. I know that to be true, right? I know that if I'm going to marry somebody, I should marry someone who is shooting the same direction in life as I am, right? That, that I should be aligned with somebody who believes what I believe, who doesn't just say they're a Christian, but actually loves Jesus, which single people, there's a difference, right? It's a huge difference between somebody who says they're a Christian, goes to church, and somebody who actually loves Jesus. Do, do, your, do your research, right? And so with Amanda, we'd been together for a while. I knew she loves Jesus, right? And I wanted to make sure I married a woman like that, right? And, and, and then I had desires, right? I'm like, she's hot. I love that. She's, I think she's attractive, so that's okay. Find somebody you think is attractive. It, it's, it's all part of the picture, but when I prayed about it, I just want to tell you, I never got a, Brian, marry a man like I didn't I didn't you know wake up one morning and it was written on my mirror Amanda is the one like I didn't get any signs or anything like that I just was like I want to marry her I know that in terms of God's moral will like it's not wrong so I'm I'm doing it right and, and it's been the biggest gift of my life right and so just know that sometimes we really want for the will of God it, it's this specific little thing and we, we fear that if we don't find it we're in a lot of trouble um, I think a lot of people see the will of God like a pinpoint of a needle, right? And it's this small little space. It's like this little piece of tape. I don't know why it's here, by the way. Anybody know? This is a little piece of tape. It's supposed to be where I stand. This little piece of tape where if I'm like right here, I am right in the will of God. Don't move, right? Don't move. Just live in this place. Live in fear. If you do move and you find yourself outside of it, your whole life's a mess. And so a lot of people are just so scared what if I step off of the spot? What if I miss God's will? If you have a Bible, open to Ephesians chapter 5, if you would. 
Um, if you don't, you can follow along on the screen or uh, download the ACF Church app on your phone, and that's a great way to follow along with the notes and the scriptures there as well. If you're wondering, how should I, how, if there's this one little spot that's, you know, God's will, how do I walk through life? And I would say it's actually not just a little spot, but what does it look like to walk through life as a, as a Christian, trying to follow God, trying to honor Him? And this may be even a new muscle that you're trying out if you're a new Christian. Um, we had 36 people say yes to Jesus last week. Praise God for that. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. That's, that's changed life. I like the little golf clap. That's awesome. No, it's like, it is. A few woos in there. That's great. That's like, that's, that's life transformation. But that's 36 people that are in our midst that are going, okay, what does it look like if there is this God that, you know, died for me and loves me that much? Like, how do we actually walk in this way? And you might have heard people talk about um, their Christian life as a, as a walk, which I think is a great picture to have in our minds, that it's not like this, this fearful spot that we stand in, but it's actually a walk. And the good news is that Jesus walks with us. He doesn't just tell us to go somewhere and set us out to fail. He's actually walking through life with us. And Ephesians 5 says this uh, in verse 15. It says, look carefully then how you walk. It's good to know. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the, day, the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Classic Paul sentence, run on, very long, lots of statements, but lots of good stuff here. Um, to, what is, so what does the scripture right here tell us God's will is, right? So it's a great question as you're studying, like, what is this telling me right here about my life? First, it says to be wise. That's a good move. It's something we would teach our kids, hey, don't be foolish. Try to be wise, make good decisions. And, you, and so we know this, making wise decisions, it's a good thing. That's a gift from God. There is a better way to live our lives, not to be foolish. He says, be filled with the Spirit. In other words, we understand as Christians that, that God doesn't actually just live outside of us. He actually lives within us. And when you become a believer in Jesus, we believe that the Holy Spirit resides inside of his people, and he guides us in our steps. That's good news, right? That's good news. So as you're walking, you're not walking alone. The Spirit of God is inside of you, guiding you helping you understand the scriptures, helping you hear his voice, speaking to you and guiding your life if you're going to listen to him. It talks about being filled with the Spirit instead of being drunk on wine. In other words, don't be overcome by something like, like you know, wine or alcohol or anything else that's going to that's gonna drive your life. Don't be controlled by anything else. Be controlled by the Spirit. It's a good thing to do. And then he says to address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. I always love this when people are like, I'm a biblical literist. I just do everything it says. I'm like, when's the last time you just met your buddy and was like, I'm singing a psalm, right? A, a spiritual psalm. It's like a, I don't know, like, do you do that? But it's just speaking about like corporate worship and, and, and honoring God together and, and, and uh, communicating your love for God. And this is actually, you know, teaching each other to, to love God more. And so it's just, it's really to worship uh, to, to worship God together. It's God's will that in 20 minutes when we sing, that you sing. That's specifically. Like singing together is something that God wants you to do. So if you're ever wondering, especially you dudes in the room who are like, I don't sing, just read your Bibles. Um, <laughs> says to. Open your mouth. So, okay. 
And it says to give thanks. God's will is that you'd be a thankful person. That you didn't spend your life wanting and wanting and wanting. It's, it's his will that you should go through life going, do you know what I have? Even if you think you have nothing. Going, do you know what I have? I'm just first in Jesus. Do you know what I have in, in reconciliation with God himself? Do you know what I have? That we live lives like that. And then submitting to one another. Once again, a huge deal that we'd submit to one another um, in, in marriage and in relationships. That it's not, a, it's not a pulling, what can I get? How can I get this person to do what I want them to do? It's a, what do you need? How can I serve you? How can I help you? That, that's God's will for your life. And so these, this, this church, ACF Church, should be noticed by the community as the most servant-hearted people that they've ever seen. It should shock people that we are so giving and so generous and so helpful um, in our city. So once again, we're like, well, what is God's will? It's right there, right? It's right there. But what about the details? What about the details? Will God speak to us in the details? And I, I just want you to know that there are times I believe he absolutely will. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 20, speaking about Israel and their time of, of turmoil and struggle. Uh, the prophet Isaiah says this, Although the Lord has given you bread of, priv of privation and water of oppression, he, your teacher, will no longer hide himself, but your eyes will behold your teacher. Your ears will hear a word behind you. This is the way. Walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right or to the left. What he's saying is that, hey, people of Israel, I know you've been through some hard times. You've even had famine where you're just living off a little bit of water and bread. But know this, it's always been enough. God will always give you what you need, and he'll always guide you to where you need to go. And so here's the truth, and I just want you to receive this today, is that God is not hiding his will from you. God is not hiding his will from you. And if you get nothing else today, I just hope that you can receive that is that we have this picture of God that like there is this mysterious will and if I find it and I seek it out and, 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 uh, and find out what it is, then I'll be in this great place of joy and happiness in life. And if I don't find it, it's a total mess. It's the you know, pinpoint of the needle type of perspective on God's will. And there's a lot of fear there. And then you start to, like, who is this God that kind of dangles his will out there and I'm, I'm asking him for it and he just won't give it to me? I just want you to know, church, that we don't see any argument in the scriptures that God wants to hide his will from you. That in some ways, it's just this mysterious, it's like a Rubik's Cube. If you figure it out, then you're in good shape. If you don't, then you're in bad shape. Imagine this. Imagine like as a parent. Uh, some of you have been there where you feel like uh, maybe as a, as a child, you could never please your parents. All you knew is what, when you did the wrong thing. All you knew is when you messed up. They never told you what they wanted, they just told you when you messed up. And this is how I think people see God, is that, you know, God's got this secret will, he doesn't tell me what it is, but he sure lets me know when I screw it up. And, it's, and so then, does that not shape how you see God? Tell me that wouldn't, wouldn't, like, affect your relationship with God, if you believe in him. So I just want you to know that that is not something that we can argue in the scriptures, that we need to know who God is. He is a perfect father, a perfect parent. One who loves us and actually wants the best for you. I mean, just to believe that today, that God isn't out to hurt you or destroy you, but he actually wants the best for you. He actually wants you to experience the most joy possible in this life. 
and he actually wants you to find his will. He actually wants you to follow him in, in every way. And so I would tell you that the first step in seeking the will of God is familiarizing yourself with his character. Is first, who is God? And when you, when you start to understand who God is, you begin to fear a little less. You have a relationship there, and so you know that he is a good God. And you start to understand, well, what does this, this God want out of my life? Now, it's kind of like this. So at this point with Amanda, um, I can actually order for her when I go out to eat with her. Um, we go to Taco Bell. It's a double-decker with no cheese. It's nachos with extra cheese. And then it's going to be like a sweet tea if they've got it or whatnot. But, like, I can order for that girl anywhere we go. I just know what she wants because I know her. I've spent time with her, you know. And, and so when it comes to God, understanding his character is key to following his will. Because when you know who he is, you start to know what he wants. It starts to be something you don't even have to like, oh, where's my Bible at today? No, you just kind of, this is probably what God wants in this moment. I, I just know who he is. I know what he wants for my, my life. And I know that when I do what God wants, not what I want, it's going to contribute to the most flourishing in my marriage and in my life and in my relationships that I can experience. But instead, we tend to focus on the details, be lost in the minutia of the questions. Who should I marry? Where am I supposed to live? What college major should I take? What job should I take? What investments should I make? And so I want to give you some better questions to ask. How about that? Uh, so here's a few better questions. The first is this. Am I doing what the Bible clearly asks of me first? Just start off with that. Am I just doing what the Bible already told me to do? And I just want you to know that as you do that, some of the specifics will begin to work themselves out. And some of them will actually begin to matter even less. And you'll start to get perspective on the things that used to freak you out and the will of God things that you were wondering about. And you'll start to go like, oh, it's just not as big of a deal because you're pursuing a life of worship. You're, you're honoring God himself. Am I just already doing what God has already told me to do? Here's another question. Am I ready to submit to his guidance of my life in the world? Am I ready to, to, to submit to whatever God has for my life and for the world? Don't ask the question, God, what's your will for me? And then walk away when you hear the answer, right? I mean, you have to be ready if you're going to ask, okay, God, what do you want? Because he might be, God might tell you, hey, that, that guy, he doesn't love Jesus. You want so badly to believe he does, but he doesn't. And you do, and you know that your heart is hard after God, and you want to marry him because he's so cute, and he's so nice, and he opens the door for me, and he pays for my meals, and like we talk about, we go to church together, but you know in your heart he's, he doesn't really love Jesus, and you're like, ah, I just want it to be right. I'm just, maybe it's that. But you got to be ready for the answer. You want, you know, to, to take the job or whatever it is. What if God wants you to do something different? You know, you want to have this type of lifestyle, maybe God wants you to be a missionary. He wants you to sell everything and move to Africa, you know? I, I don't know. But you, you got to be ready and position yourself like, oh man, if, if God speaks to me, what's it going to mean for my life? I just want you to know it's going to be better, but it may not be easier. And so be ready for whatever he's going to say to you. Here's the third question. Am I seeking to know Jesus more? You're like, how is that a will of God question? Once again, we see that Jesus is the physical representation of the Father. That when you know Jesus, you know God. Which should clear up a lot of stuff. If you just got this image in your head of this angry God that wants to shoot lightning bolts at the world, you know, um, I just want you to read the Gospels. And what you see in Jesus, Jesus says, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. 
What you see in Jesus is who God is in the flesh, the perfect physical representation of God himself, ultimately dying for the world. That's a good God, right? Not this God that sits at a distance and tells you what, you, what to do and, and wants to hurt you when you do the wrong thing. It's this God that actually comes and gives of himself for the world. Are you just seeking to know him more? When you know him more, you'll start to, start to know what to do more, and you'll actually be in step with Jesus as you walk through life because you know who he is and you know what he wants. So after all that kind of deconstruction, I want to get you to the third category, which is God's individual will. The specifics. You're like, finally, that's what I wanted anyway. And all that other stuff, it doesn't really matter. I just want to know what he wants for my life. I do believe that God has specific wills and that there are things that in our life that God wants you to do and not to do. And, and, and maybe it's not written out uh, verbatim in the scriptures, but that as we live a life walking in the spirit, not being controlled by other substances, but being controlled by the spirit, that he will guide us and he will walk in our lives and give us clarity. The first question I want to ask you is like, why is this such a big deal though? Like, why do you want to know so badly what his individual will is for you? First things, I think the first is maybe that you want so badly to follow God. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hope that that's the case as Christians, that you're like, I want to know his individual specific will for my life because I just so badly want to honor him with my life. But here's my proposition for you today. If it's not morally wrong, and he hasn't made it clear otherwise, and you're living in prayer and submission to God, then you can know this. Listen, you are right smack dab in the middle of God's will. You're right where he wants you to be. And there's so much peace there, isn't there? You're like, it's got to be more complicated than that. It's not. It's not. There's so much peace in knowing, like, I'm living in submission to God. I'm seeking to know Jesus more. I'm reading the scriptures. It's not morally wrong. I have two great options. I have job A, job B. I don't know which one to choose. They're both great. They're both going to pay well. They're both, like my wife and I have talked about it. She's good with either one. Like, what job am I going to take? Pick one. Just pick it. If God's going to bless it. Like, it's going to be okay. You're going to be just fine. I think we want so badly to be right in the middle of this pinpoint. I don't think that God's will is that way. Uh, I think another reason we want to know God's individual will for us is that we just want for life to go well for us. We just want it to, does, do we not want to just be a little happier? And uh, we just want life to go well, experience a little less pain. Life's painful enough as it is. And so uh, we just assume that if we seek God's guidance, that we will be in a position to experience something that's a little less painful, a little easier. But I want you to soak up this reality. Seasons of difficulty do not necessarily indicate rebellion. And seasons of ease do not necessarily indicate obedience. That we tie those things together. We say, well, it's difficult. I missed God's will. And then we say, oh, it's easy. It's going well. And what do we typically say? Man, you're so blessed. Man, your, your marriage is so great right now. You are so blessed, right? You have such a good job. You're, you know, making six figures. You are so blessed, we say that, we, we, we ascribe blessing to ease, do we not? Like, without even thinking about it, we think blessing is ease. But you have, have you ever read the Beatitudes? Anybody? Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the humble in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger. Blessed are those who are persecuted. 
You see, I don't think that we realize it sometimes. We want to seek God's individual will for our lives because we want it to be easier. And I just want you to know, it may be harder than anything you've ever done. Now, you will be better for it. And you will be part of something that you otherwise would not have been a part of. But as you seek God's individual will for your life, do not seek it expecting ease or a painless lifestyle. Because we, we see that nowhere in the scriptures. That if you follow God, it'll be less painful and it'll be more easy. In fact, we see typically the opposite. In fact, there's more sacrifice, there's more giving, more difficulty, but there's this base note of joy in our lives that we just have that nobody else has because we're in the will of the Father. And so know that to be true. Here's a few more questions for yourself. As you try to seek God's will for you, specifically ask this, ask, am I seeking the best for myself? I think there's a lot of people who settle for less than the best in their lives. And I just want you to know you were meant for the best for you. That God has, does have plans for you. And he has things for you. And so first, as you seek God's will, are you seeking the absolute best for yourself? 1 Corinthians 10.23 says, All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. In other words, there's things that you might not see as morally wrong or biblically wrong, but they're just not actually the best for you. Um, there's things that you've allowed into your life or chosen as habits in your life that are kind of hurting you and taking away from, from uh, the greatest amount of flourishing in your life, but you've gotten used to it and it's just part of your routine. Seek the best. If you're going to seek what God wants for you, specifically seek the absolute best that God can give you. Maybe pray that way. God, I don't know what the best is, but I want it. I want the absolute best. Show me what it is, but be ready for what that means. Ask this question, am I seeking the best for others? Uh, next verse, 1 Corinthians 10, 24, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Have you ever thought that seeking God's individual will for your life is not actually about you? That, that what if the best reason to seek God's individual will for your life is actually for your neighbor? It's actually for your wife or your husband. It's actually for your children. It's actually for your friends and co-workers. What if seeking God's will is actually not just about you? It's actually about seeking what's best for your neighbor. This is what, what we do as Christ followers, is we seek what's best for others. That's the best reason to find the will of God. And then verse 31, skip ahead, it says this, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Here's the last question. I think maybe the most important one. Who am I living for? Who am I living for? See, in the end, the will of God, seeking the will of God, is less about a what and more about a who. You guys get that? It's less about what you're doing and, and wanting that specific thing, but when you understand the will of God, it's more about who is God and who is he making me into. Because I want you to know this, when you're becoming who God wants you to become, you'll be doing what God wants you to do. See, we go the other way around. God, tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. No, God wants to change you. He wants to make you more like Jesus. And as you become more like Jesus, you'll just start doing what God wants you to do. It'll be natural. You'll start to understand his character. You'll start to want what he wants, even when it's difficult. You'll seek his will, not to just make life easier, but actually to, to be right in the middle of what God wants for you and to be part of his mission in the world. And so ask yourself that simple question, 
who am I living for? Because if you're just living for you, then why are you even seeking God's will? Why does it matter what he wants? You want what you want. But if you're living for Jesus, then seek his will and seek it hard and pray and live in submission. And when you're just like, I don't know, choose what you think is best and walk in freedom knowing that God's not trying to trip you up. It's not a game. It's not, it's not, a, it's not a joke. He's trying to actually lead you into the most life that you can possibly have. Here's what ultimately God's will is. If you're just a, a big picture God's will is this. 2 Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness. But is patient towards you. That's good news. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So no matter where you're at today, I just want you to know God's will is that you should reach repentance. Is that you should have a, a, a new way of seeing the world and that you should be able to repent of, of your sin and of all that entangles you in this life and that you could choose what's best that you could choose the absolute best for you, which I believe with all my heart is life in Christ. It's always what's going to be best. So that's God's will for you. It's less of a pinpoint. And I, I'll just close with this for me. I, I'm excited this summer just to get out uh, doing some fishing. And uh, a couple of years ago, a friend of mine took me out on the Big Susitna in a boat, if you've ever been out there. And if you've ever seen Alaska rivers from the air, what you see is they're not just this big straight river. Like I come from Colorado, the Colorado River, right? It's just a... One straight river. In Alaska, they have about a thousand little fingers, right? And I just want you to know, this is kind of how the will of God is. Like, sometimes we take some little detours, right? We might kind of find ourselves paddling in four inches of water. We're like, how do we get here, right? But you're still on the river. But, but you're kind of off the beaten path a little bit. But here's what I know, is that every one of those little tributaries leads back to the river. And ultimately, that river leads to the ocean, Right? It's all flowing one direction. It's all going to get you there. Get rid of the fear that says, hey, I missed God's will years ago, and I'm just lost, right? I'm out of the river completely. No, listen, God has a sovereign plan in the world and for your life. I believe he does. And that no matter how much you screw it up or how, how many times you miss it, ultimately God can course correct. He's big enough to do this. He's big enough to do You can't screw it up. Ultimately, you are on the river. You're going to be back where God is needs you to be as you seek a life of repentance and submission to his will. So let's do that this week. Let's pray. Jesus, this is a huge topic, and um, I know there's so much more, and there are people here wondering if they're just being punished by you, wondering if, um, if you got some kind of secret that you're holding out on them for, and Maybe it felt like they've missed your will, made a bad choice years ago that can't be reconciled. And God, we just come back to the cross knowing that, that you always had a plan for reconciling the world. That at no point were you wringing your fists and wondering what was going to happen. That God, you saw what was coming and you made a plan for restoration. You sent Jesus to restore our sins and to restore us to you, to heal us. So God, thank you that that's so true in our own lives, that you're not surprised by our rebellion, and you're not surprised by our bad decisions, and that God, before the world began, you had a plan of redemption set in place for our lives. So God, I pray we'd be the kind of people who are willing and ready to seek out what that is. 
that we would trust that you want to move and know your character, know that you're good, you're not holding out on us, but you are actually in step walking with us as we choose to be in step walking with you. So God, I pray that we would ultimately find your will for us and for the world, that we would seek you and find repentance. We'd know that you love us and that as messy as we see this world, that you are a good God, always planning to restore and redeem. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks.